What's up? What's up? Hope you guys are having a great day today. My name is Matthew Spaziti, and welcome back for another episode of the Matthew Spaziti program where we talk about financial freedom and economics. If you guys are joining me here for the first time today, first and foremost, I want to say welcome and thank you for uh, coming here and spending a, and giving me a little bit of your time this week. I very much appreciate when you guys, you find it valuable enough to come here and give me some of your time. I always appreciate that. You know, uh, this show wouldn't be going if it wasn't for you. So thank you very much. And I want, if you are new, I want to first and foremost, just let you know a little bit about what the show is about. So I say financial freedom and economics. Why do I say that? Well, in the end, I really believe that they're two, that both of them are both the backs of the same coin, right? Financial freedom is taking control of the source of your income and controlling your finances so that your finances ultimately do not control you. This typically means, you know, controlling your instant gratification. It usually means budgeting. It means not going into a lot of debt, getting rid of that debt, you know, getting out of the the whole slavery industry of becoming a debt slave and, and getting out of that and whatnot. And and ultimately just that that's what it means, right? And, and then also taking control over the source of your income where you own the source of where your money is coming from. You know, you're not getting paid by a business anymore because you're, you're trading your time for dollars. Instead, you're coming up with products. You're coming up with services. And you got people who are paying you good money for your very valuable skills. Or perhaps you have a business that provides a product. Maybe you're a pool company, you, you know, you, you install pools in people's homes. Maybe you, I don't know, maybe you own a pizza shop and you provide pizza. Whatever it is, you control the source of your income, not somebody else. And the main reason we do this is because, look, we're going to be facing a lot of turmoil in the coming future. And eventually, yeah, we will go through some pretty good prosperous times or at least some more peaceful times in the future. And it's going to be really, really great. But the problem is that we need, in order for us to make sure that we and ourselves and our families are secure, we need to control the source of our income. It's the the least risky thing to do. It's hard to do. It's not easy. And there is there are risks associated to it, but it's far riskier to rely on somebody else for their income because these crashes, you know, they happen throughout time and they get worse and worse every single time they come around. And they also take longer to recover, and they're typically deeper than they were before. So it's really important that we have the control over the source of our income. The back to that coin is effectively economics. The reason for that is, you know, we wouldn't really be very motivated to take control of the source of our our income and all that kind of stuff and to control our finances if we didn't know that there were dangerous things on the horizon. We can't, if we couldn't see what was coming down the line, then would we really be motivated to go off and control the source of our income? Would we be motivated to control our finances? I, I don't know. 
I know for me personally, I wouldn't be as motivated. I still might do it because I want to be in control of my future, my destiny. And while I understand there are lots of things that happen in life that we have no control over, I also believe that we do, there's a lot of ways that we can handle the unforeseen and we can handle things that we can't control that define the direction that our life moves in. So, if you really think about it in that way, yes, we do in fact have a lot of control over our own lives. We really do. You know, how we respond to the uncontrollable circumstances that happen really, really shapes our future. It shapes our outcome. And there is a lot about our lives that we can control. I I, I like to say this all a lot and um, I don't know, m- many people may disagree with me. I don't care. It's my show. I'll say whatever I want. So, uh, but I like to say this all the time that our lives are a direct representation of our decisions. That's the truth. Our lives, again, I'll say it one more time, our lives are a direct representation of our decisions. If our life has turned out crap, it's because we've made crap decisions. If our life has turned out wonderful, then it's because we've made maybe not wonderful decisions, but we made good decisions to get us there. If your life is not where you want it to be today, it's ultimately your fault. And that's the whole message. It's your fault. Now, that can be both offensive to some people, but it can be very empowering because ultimately what it means is, hey, you don't like it? That's cool, man. You don't have to like it. You start making better decisions and you can change it just like that, just like a snap. You can change it whenever you decide to change it. See, Taking responsibility for our actions is incredibly important because it means that our lives are ultimately in our control, or at least a big portion of it is, and that we can shape and we can direct our lives in the direction that we want it to go in. But the reason that we um, ultimately we talk about economics is because we wouldn't really be motivated to do a lot of this stuff if we didn't have the economics to understand what's coming down the line. We need to understand the economics of it all. We need to understand how money works, how money works in an economy, the incentive structure, why people act, you know, what incentives cause people to act in certain ways. We need to understand all this so that we can position ourselves for good and bad times. Look, if there's if there are good times on the horizon, we still need to understand economics. It's not all negative because if there are good times good times on the horizons that are happening in maybe certain industries, if we position ourselves appropriately, we can take advantage of those industries and those good things. And we can come out way farther ahead than most people who do not understand economics and do not take advantage of those cir- circumstances. So it's 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 not all negative, right? And yes, of course, if there are negative things coming down the line, we need to be aware of them so that we can plan for the future. We can plan against those and we can, we appoint our lives in the direction that we want it to go in to put ourselves in a position of strength. So that's why they're back to the same coin. You need economics in order to motivate the financial freedom aspect. And, but they're both valuable. You you need both. You can't have them. I mean, they're back to the same coin, but ultimately it's still the same coin. And that, that, that's the way I view it. That's what we talk about here on the show. And we do talk about politics from time to time. We do talk about economics. Recently, we've been talking a lot about politics, largely because, you know, there's a there, there's a bunch of garbage that's going out there. But really, that's just serves more of as a distraction for us. So we don't talk about a lot of politicking, right? We don't really get into a lot of that stuff because a it's divisive it's disgusting and and frankly it's just it's very depressing uh it's horribly depressing i just got done listening to a podcast the other day it was a libertarian podcast great great podcast i'm really great guy but that does it i'm not going to mention the name but man i it was so negative 
so depressing. And I, I came away from the whole thing horribly depressed. And I'm like, gosh. And, and, the, and, the, and the guy didn't even really give any kind of hope at the end of it. He didn't give any kind of uh, actions that we can take. Any, There was no hope. It was just, this sucks and we're screwed type of thing. And I don't really know if that's really how he felt. But it was rather depressing. I, I, it, it, it almost ruined my entire day. Like I, after listening to that, I don't know about you guys, but when I listen to stuff and, and whatnot, I can be very impressionable, right? It can affect my emotional state and how I feel about things. And when I was done listening, I just felt so depressed. It took me a while to come out of the funk. My wife was like, what is wrong with you? You were fine earlier. It's like, I listened to a podcast. Like, you listened to a podcast. I could have guessed it. And then I told her what happened and, and, and what they were saying. It's like, I just feel like the world is caving in, you know, if, if what this guy says is true and all this kind of stuff. And so anyways, and no, it's not the podcast that I typically talk about. It was the podcast. I had never really listened to the podcast before. It was just a kind of a new libertarian podcast for, for me, at least it was new that I was given a try. And, uh, yeah, I can't really say I was incredibly happy about it. Not to mention the guy was also, you know, cussing up a storm and everything. That just, or that doesn't really, I don't go with that a lot. It doesn't add anything to the substance. And frankly, I find it to be the action, a very uneducated thing to do, right? If you're cussing, it's because you're out of options. If you're cussing, it's, it's, it's not sophisticated. And I, I like sophistication, right? I'm very traditional in the way that I live my life and the way that I view things. I'm very traditional. And, um, you know, I mean, I... Yeah, for, for a lot of stuff in my life, it just, when you're cussing, it just, it, it, it sounds uneducated, right? You sound like a rube to me when you're cussing a lot. You, you sound like a rube, you sound like a pleb, you know, basically a uh, rube is a, <laughs> you sound like a hick and uh, an uneducated hick to me and you sound like a rather, a commoner, like you, you don't sound, it's not elegant at all. It's, I don't know if that, that really explains it, but now that said, look, Yes, I will admit, from time to time, I let stuff out, I get really angry, I get really stressed out, and I cuss. I try not to, I admit that I'm wrong, I apologize for it, and I don't, I try not to make it a habit, and it is something that I do fight, and it still is not common for me to do it, but you know, it's something we all struggle with, but I I don't like it, and I make a point to not do it on the show, because frankly, I want you guys to get a good sense of who I am right? You're coming in here, you're spending time with me, you're investing your time with me. And I want to show you how much I appreciate that. And I want to give you guys a very transparent image of who you are, who I am. I'm not trying to make myself into a caricature. I'm not trying to you know, exaggerate certain personality traits. I mean, if you were to really meet me in real life, I'm going to be honest with you. I would probably be fairly quiet if I don't know you. I don't want to offend people. I don't want to get get up in their face and get angry. Largely, I just want to kind of sit in the background and stuff of that nature. You know, I mean, I, I do like to talk to people and I'm not of opposed to sharing my opinions if I, if I feel like we are in alignment on certain things. Sometimes I do share my opinions with new people just to see whether or not you're someone I really want to hang out with. And if it offends you, well, then I know I don't want anything to do with you, or at least I know I don't want to hang out with you because we're just not in alignment. That's going to just kind of cause friction and stuff of that nature. And, but most of the time I share my opinions. I don't know. I'm not the life of the party 
right? That's just not who I am. I tend to not like a lot of crowds. Although I, I grew up in a, a six a six kid family, you know, I was one of six kids. I had a big family, uh, but I tend not to like crowds. I went to New York one time, and yeah, suffice to say, the crowds on the street made me a little nervous. I loved New York; it was really cool. It was a great experience, but the crowds didn't. I, I wasn't a. It was not my comfort zone. And um, I'm, I'm a homebody. I mean, that's I stay home most of the time. Uh, I kind of live under a rock in many ways. You know, I, I research economics, I research, you know, all kinds of stuff, but yeah, I, I don't keep up with, you know, pop culture. I don't keep up with those type popular things. I don't really watch and get much into sports. I, I do like playing video games and things of that nature for, to, to some extent, but I, I don't really get into a lot of the normal stuff that most people get into, which are watching football or hockey or uh, who knows what else watching. I have my, my set TV shows and sitcoms that I love to watch, you know, Big Bang Theory, Friends, you know, I think they're hilarious examples of how not to live your life. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't agree with anything that these shows do. I mean, a lot of, a lot of times I mean, my parents are like, oh, you watch that stuff. It's like, well, I find it humorous. I find it really funny. Um, but I don't at all think that anyone should live their life this way. If, if anything, these are great examples of what not to do, but they're hilarious and whatnot. And so we do watch, a, and I do watch a couple of classic stuff every now and then, you know, the Dick Van Dyke show. I kind of grew up watching that with my parents. They, you know, watched that when I was little and growing up and, you know, stuff of that nature. So, you know, there's just other stuff like that, 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 that I do watch. But anyways, the, the, we're, we're getting off track. That said, you know, the last episode you know, and I know that sometimes I tend, we've got a lot of issues going on in the world today, and I tend to talk about those issues. And I feel as though sometimes I get on this negative rant and, uh, several episodes in a row, it's, it's negativity, negativity, negativity. I don't know. I mean, I don't mean it to be that way. It's not on purpose. It's just, I guess I just get, I, I, while I try to avoid the negativity, and I think I do a good job most of the time, I still think that I'm, I'm reading about economics, I'm reading about all this stuff, and yeah, I still genuinely believe that I still fall into it to some extent, and whatnot. N not so much in the sense of, well, who got elected, Biden or Trump, and we should all be fighting, but, you know, in the sense of, look at the economics coming down the road, this is scary, and stuff of that nature. So anyways, that's not what today's going to be about. Okay, that's the promise I make to you. Today is not going to be about depressing stuff. All right, we did another episode on the economy. There were three articles in stack we didn't go over. That's fine. They, were, they weren't they were as important as the two that I read to you guys in that episode. If you guys haven't checked it out, go check it out. It was mostly about the renters and the, the mortgage moratorium and forbearance and whatnot. So it was mostly about that and a lot of stuff that's coming down the line, right? The other articles were really more about money printing, quantitative easing, liquidity that needs to be ejected in the economy, and also some speculation that there might be some year-end selling because people have the ability to take money out of their 401ks if if they fall on financial times due to the covid and you know due due to the lockdowns and things of that nature so as a result of that there may be a lot of year-end selling that could come in and and then there was also the bank of international settlements was basically saying that the federal reserve with its monetary policy basically broke the market because it was printing too much money and now there's a it's hint, it's it's just created a lot of turbulence, volatility, and, and a disconnect between the economy and how the economy is doing and the stock market and things of that nature, which, you know, that, that's the gist of what, everything that I was going to read anyways. So, uh, it, it, good articles, interesting stuff, but ultimately it's, it's, it's just more depressing stuff and I'd rather not talk about in depth. So, what we, we are going to talk about today is 
personal finances. Guys, if there's one thing that you need to know about me, which there's, gosh, just more than one thing. <laughs> there's a lot of things. Uh, I, I, I like to think I'm an interesting guy. I like to think that I got a lot of interesting stuff. Um, I hope you feel the same way if you're coming here and whatnot. I don't mean to be arrogant when I say that, but I, I like to think I'm pretty interesting. You know, I, there's economics. I love economics. I've always said I'm a huge economic enthusiast. I can't say I'm an economist. I don't have a PhD or a master's degree or even a bachelor's degree in economics. I just love the stuff. I read a lot of economic books. I just do. And I've got a unlimited list. I don't even know if I'll get through it all in my lifetime, to be fair. Yeah, it's it, it's a big list of stuff to read. And so I would say that I'm very, very, very proficient in it. And of course, there's also trading and investing that I absolutely love as well. And I'm very, very knowledgeable about. However, there's one other thing that we talk about from time to time. That's personal finances. I'm very, very good with my personal finance, or at least I like to think that I am. And, you know, I'm not perfect. My wife and I, we struggle with our, our things, you know, going out to eat on the weekends. You know, we get bored being in the house all the time. We work and we both are working from home a lot. So it's, it's something that we do struggle with. But I will say this, you know, with those struggles, we have found ways to save a lot of money. We've cut down expenses. We've found ways to pay off lots of debt. We only have a few items on the, the debt list. We're about, we have, we're about to pay off two other forms of debt. We're only going to have two left. That's basically my student loans and the mortgage. That's basically it. And, uh, yeah, we're doing pretty good. We're, we're going to be increasing our cash flow by doing that and, uh, and whatnot. And I'm always looking to increase cash flow, whether it's making more money or whether it's paying down debt or getting rid of expenses that we don't need or don't really desire. Like we're just, yeah, we have it, but we don't really care. You know, if, stuff like that. We don't get bogged down with pointless subscription programs. And, and in reality, if I can pay a one-time fee, even if it's a thousand dollars, I'm more than willing to do that. I'm even more willing to pay and if it, it is, if it is a subscription, I'm more willing to pay throughout the entire year for a whole year's worth of service than paying month to month. It saves you money in the long run and whatnot. But, you know, even then, look, there's a lot of stuff that we do, but I'm, we're, I'm very, very good with personal finances. I, I'm very conservative with my personal finances, but I'm very, very good with it. And that's ultimately what I want to talk about today. So, you know, a little, little, little snapshot of who, who I am and whatnot and, and, and and my interests and things that I'm good at and things that I, I'm very passionate about. But more specifically, what we're going to talk about with regards to personal finances is I was listening to a podcast the other day. It was the Bob Murphy Show. You guys don't know who Bob Murphy is. Bob Murphy is a great anarcho-capitalist libertarian. He actually does have a PhD in economics. He's written many books. And he's all around. He's a great guy. He's a good Christian. As far as I'm aware, I've never actually met the guy. Hope to meet him someday in my life. I think he is genuinely a titan of our age. Uh, you know, I kind of hold him up with, uh, say, Tom Woods and Thomas Sowell and Walter Williams. I, I really do. I think he's a really, really great guy, and he really, really knows his stuff. But from you know, he had a podcast the other day that I was listening to about where he was kind of going after Dave Ramsey because Dave Ramsey doesn't like dividend paying whole life insurance policies. And ultimately, you know, Dave Ramsey says it's, it's, it's for kooks. It's, it's basically a scam and all this kind of stuff with regards to, you know, the infinite banking concept, which is what they really call it. It's their fancy marketing term for, but really it's just dividend paying whole life insurance policies. That's basically what it is. It's not universal. Okay. It's not universal life insurance. That's not what it is. They don't use universal life insurance at all, but 
with that said, they were talking, they were kind of going back and forth, and it just kind of made me think of the things that I liked about Dave Ramsey, things I didn't like, and I don't know, I just, it made my mind kind of explode with all these ideas of things I wanted to talk about on a personal finance level, you know, where I disagreed with Dave Ramsey, where I agreed with him, and then different things that I agree with with regards to Robert Kiyosaki, different areas where I disagree with Robert Kiyosaki, and and also the infinite banking concept, and just all of this stuff with regards to personal finance. I mean, all these different people that I've read and I've kind of looked up to with regards, it just kind of got my mind thinking about it all. And I figured, hey, why don't we do a podcast talking about it? It's not going to be depressing. It's going to be pretty cool and uh, fun to talk about. Or I don't know about you. I'm a nerd, so I love to talk about this kind of stuff. So let's go ahead and dive into it. So Dave Ramsey doesn't like the infinite banking concept. Shocker. Basically, if you've ever taken his course, the Financial Peace University you know, course and whatnot that he offers, if you ever have taken it, Dave Ramsey is huge, you know, with regards to paying down debt and living under your means, right? He doesn't like going into debt. And a lot of that's because when he was, he's a big real estate guy. And a long time ago, if you know his story, I think it went something to this effect. And if you guys know more about Dave Ramsey, then feel free to correct me. But as far as I'm aware, he had like a couple million dollar deals where I think he was investing in real estate, but he was doing it via debt and, and all that kind of stuff. And it was, it, he didn't understand the risks associated with it and it ended up going against him. And I think he had to declare bankruptcy or something of that nature. Anyways, it hurt him real bad, whatever it was. And I may not be getting the story quite right, but basically it did not go well for him. So what he did was he decided he didn't like debt anymore and he wanted to help other people get out of debt. So he started to apply these principles to his life. And once he got to a a place where he could say, I've done this, I'm debt free or whatever, he decided to go off and start teaching this stuff to people. And which is really great. I think that there has been a massive amount of Overacceptance of debt. America has changed the way we think about money. We do not respect money. We we abuse it constantly. You know, whereas debt used to be viewed as a very shameful thing to engage in, now it's considered normal, uh, commonplace. And uh, you know, debt really does make you into a slave. You are a debt slave. And well, let's frank, let's be honest. Slavery is very much in vogue today. You are considered illiterate financially illiterate if you do not own a credit card, if you do not believe in getting the 1% cash back, despite the fact that you're paying, I don't know, 20 to 12% in interest rates on your credit card. Uh, So that 1% is a paltry sum compared to how much you're paying in interest, assuming that it rolls over into the next billing cycle and you end up paying, which for the most people who own credit cards, that is exactly what ends up happening. If you're really, really, really good, they say you won't get charged in interest. You just pay it off before the interest is and you'll be fine. Yeah. Um, that doesn't happen. And you know what? It's, it's the, it's designed to not happen. They're designed to get you to wait for the interest. If they just hit you one time, they make a decent amount of money of money off of you. And unfortunately the vast majority of people use it all the time. And I'm very much in, in, uh, not in favor of debt or credit cards and things of that nature. So neither is Dave Ramsey. And he, I've seen lots of people, you know, friends, family members get in in really big in trouble with this kind of stuff. So, but anyway, so Dave Ramsey's not a, a, you know, he's not a favor of that. You're not in favor of that. He's really against having debt. And he thinks you should do it all with your savings and all this kind of stuff. And that serves as a really good purpose because Dave Ramsey, what he's doing is if he gets people to consume less debt and he gets them to operate on a cash lifestyle, that will help with basically controlling. If that goes mainstream, which I don't think it ever will, but if it were, think about it. Inflation would be tamped down heavily. 
the, the creation of money would be heavily slowed because the bulk of the money creation that's out there is from the banks. Credit cards, car loans, personal loans, mortgages. It's all money that's just created out of thin air and there is absolutely no savings to back it up. That's the truth. Every time you get a loan, new money just got created into the economy. Every time you got a credit card and you spent money on it, new money just got created into the economy. It's not backed by any kind of cash reserves. It's not backed by gold. Yeah, we have a fractional reserve banking system. For those of you guys who don't know what that is, we'll cover that real quick. What the fractional reserve banking system is, is that basically they have a certain amount of money that they're, they're lending out. They have to have a certain percentage of that money in cash reserves, okay? So let's say they lend out $200,000. They have to have a 10% cash reserves on hand. That means they have to have $20,000 in reserves, okay? That's what fractional reserve banking is. Well, ever since this crisis hit, basically the government told them, lend it all out. No, don't, don't even bother. Just lend it out. Lend it all out. Just lend out money. And um, yeah, you can imagine the effect that that's going to have long term on the economy. It may seem like it's not having much of an effect now because people are still not spending, right? There's a lot of people who have still cut back their spending. But when that goes away, when sentiment recovers, when this lie about this killer virus, sure, there's a virus out there, but it's not a killer virus. It's not as deadly as they're saying that it is. Most of that's a lie. The numbers are a lie. The, the, the hospitalizations are a lie. The deaths are a lie. Most of that is all a lie. Most of those people are not actually COVID cases. They just either, they were tested with very faulty tests. They were tested with very, very um, inaccurate tests. It gives false positives. They classify people as having COVID who really genuinely do not have COVID. It inflates the numbers. They do a whole bunch of stuff to inflate these numbers. It's one of the biggest frauds of our time. But anyways, that said, all right, once all that goes away, sentiment recovers, then eventually that money will start to, to show its ugly head. People will start spending it. It won't be stuck in savings. Or if it's debt, people will start getting more debt. They'll start buying houses. They'll start buying cars again. It's going to be interesting to see how it actually plays out. But if I, I think we will see a tick up in money devaluation or monetary devaluation, whatever you want to call it, I think we're going to see a tick up in prices because our money simply just isn't going to go very far anymore. So I think it's a very good thing that Dave Ramsey st stands up against this because if we could get as many people into this whole don't live off debt, then effectively we would get, we would basically tamp down the creation of money because the biggest perpetrators of that are the banks on, on, on a typical daily basis. Now, when crisis comes, yes, the Federal Reserve engages in quantitative easing. You know, they type in a whole bunch of zeros on one, uh, ones and zeros. They just take on the Treasury's debt and, and whatnot, and they, they take them on their balance sheets, effectively giving the Treasury money to more or less go and spend how it, how it deems. Maybe it keeps in the Treasury general account, or maybe it goes and spends it on, you know, obligations from the government. But that's generally how it works. Most of the inflation or most of the money creation comes from your banks, your typical daily banks. That's where most, if you're seeing prices that are rising, usually you can blame it on the banks and how they're, how they're lending out their money. Okay. You know, uh, credit card, again, credit cards, personal loans, mortgages, car loans, things of that nature. When it comes to 
you know, your assets like real estate, again, lower interest rates encourages that and there's still mortgages. But on top of that, when you're talking about like, say the stocks and the bonds and stuff, most of the time when the Fed gets involved and they start printing money, it goes into the bond or the stock market and things of that and things like that. And it doesn't, and it slowly leaks out into society because eventually that money gets in the hands of the employees and stuff, but it's a, it's a very slow process, which is why we tend not to see it as much. But that's why inflation constantly creeps up at a relatively slow pace, and it's hard to understand what's really going on, right? Uh, if you want to use the term trickle down, quote unquote, it kind of is like that. You could you could theoretically say that. It eventually does, but by, by the time that it actually trickles down to us, it's not valuable anymore. It's that the devaluation process has already occurred and it's not worth anything. And now, yeah, we have more money, but basically everything got expensive before we even got the money. And now the money's completely pointless. It's pointless in having. You see, the only people that really benefit off inflation, okay, the money creation of money, because that's what inflation is. It's not a general increase in prices. That is a symptom of inflation. That's monetary devaluation or money devaluation or depreciation, whatever. What inflation really is, is the creation of money. It is the increase in the supply of money, the monetary supply. And then that money gets circulated. Well, whoever gets the money first is the one who benefits off of it before the monetary devaluation occurs. And if you get it last, which is what you and I do, we always get it last. We're not anywhere near the top. We're not even in the middle. We're getting it last. And therefore, by the time it gets down to us, it's, it's pointless. Yeah, we have higher wages, but everything is so expensive. It's still hard to live. Well, that's what is the cause of this. So anyways, yes, it's a good thing. It's a good thing that Dave Ramsey is speaking out against, you know, living off of debt and stuff of that nature. But aside from that fact about him, there are some things about him that I find that are very still mainstream. He still thinks you should invest in mutual funds, which I disagree with. You know, I view mutual funds as being passive investing. I know there are managers in the mutual funds that are basically managing the money. I understand how it works, but the person, the individual that gave the mutual fund the money doesn't really understand what's going on. It's kind of a black box system. You don't really know what's inside the box. You know, you don't really know the strategies they're using. You can usually get a, a statement as to what percentage of your money is in or what percentage of the fund is in certain industries and things of that nature, but you don't always know the specific companies unless you do some deep researching. And then you also don't really know what strategies they're using in order to make those decisions and why they're choosing that strategy over another one. So in reality, the vast majority of people only look at their statements when they're making money and when their account is doing well. And their account is not doing well, they dig their head in the sand. I would even go off to say that most people don't look at the statements at all. A lot of times, you know, very brief passing over it, but not really. So it's a form of passive investing in my book, and I very much disagree with it. And by the way, the mutual fund, that's very mainstream. Just buy and hold that type of stuff. Don't even try to actively invest in it and whatnot. That's very mainstream. And Dave Ramsey is rather mainstream on that, at least from what I've learned from Dave Ramsey. Now, I know that he doesn't support every single mutual fund that's out there. He says you got to be very picky about which ones you choose, but still. Anyways, that's neither here nor there. The point is, is that he's very mainstream on that point. If you support mutual funds, you're kind of mainstream in my book because uh, I think you should actively invest your own money. Just educate yourself. You're going to manage your money better than anybody else is. So because it's your money, you're going to manage it better. So you need to know how to manage it and you need to manage it on your own. If you choose not to, you at least need to understand it so that you need to know when you're being screwed over by someone who's telling you you should buy this and, and why you need to understand it. But anyways, you know, that said, he also, when it comes to insurance though, because this is kind of where the whole IBC stuff comes in, he 
is very much in favor of term life instead of whole life. And I found that to be very, very interesting because it's like I, I, he explained it and I, I understood it just fine. It's just, I don't know. So in his opinion, term life is very cheap for the most part. And you, what you should do is cut your expenses low. Term life is a way to do that. You can get a lot of coverage for very, very, very little amount of money. And then you can basically take, and then you should take all of your money that you're making, all that excess money, instead of using it for consumption, you should invest it. Dump it into that 401k, get the tax savings, dump it into your, you, you know, your mutual fund, whatever. And that's generally his idea. Maybe go into real estate because he's a big real estate guy. But that's, that's his idea. And he says that what you should do is a lot of people criticize him. It's like, okay, yeah, but Dave, once I reach like 60 years old, this term life, these term life prices are going to skyrocket on me. What do I do then? And he's like, okay, okay, good, good, good question. Here's what you do. Okay. At that point, you should be making so much money to the point that you're self-insured. You don't need to be insured anymore. You got, you got bukus of money coming around because you got millions of dollars in your investments and all this kind of stuff. <laughs> if that doesn't strike you as odd for someone who's somewhat contrarian with how you manage your money, very conservative, I don't know. For me, it strikes me as odd. So make it this straight. You're telling me that if I really cut my life down to and, and to really restrict my consumption, get out of debt, increase my cash flow as much as possible, and I constantly take the excesses of that and I dump it into 401k, I dump it into mutual funds and things like that. You're telling me I'm going to be so wealthy that I shouldn't need to be insured anymore? Yeah. Uh-huh. I'll tell you exactly how that works out for the vast majority of people. It doesn't work. Dave Ramsey is wrong in that sense. And though when it does work, you are those people are the exceptions to the rule. They are not the rule. It, seriously, that's how I feel about it. You're, most people that are going through the, the Dave Ramsey's process, while it's a very good process, and I highly encourage people to do most of the, you know, the a lot of that, you know, making sure you understand where your money's going, how you're spending it, and then being just trying to control how much you spend. Don't just willy-nilly, you know, spend every dime on frivolous things, you know. And then on top of that, you know, yeah, you should have build a certain buffer of savings, get out of debt as much as you can, increase that cash flow. That's good stuff. But then you're saying that you should be self-insured. You should be so wealthy because you engaged in passive investing, which is what the mainstream, that's mainstream advice. I know, I guess I'm, I'm very, look, I'm very contrarian when it comes to this, but I don't like mainstream advice. Mainstream advice just keeps you poor. It keeps you beholden to the, to, to the ruling elite. That's the truth. Mainstream advice, in my opinion, is, is deemed as safe, secured. You hear these these buzzwords, right? It makes you feel warm and fuzzy inside. It makes you feel nice and happy and secured. Is it really true? No. A lot of times, it you're not safer than you would be managing it on your own. A lot of times, you're not more secured than what you really think. The risks are actually heavier and, and a lot greater if you're letting other people manage your stuff. And no, you're not going to be self-insured the vast majority of the time. You're not. If you play the game the way that everybody says you should play the game, you go to college, you get good grades, and you get a good job. You're not 
preaching the idea of going and taking control of the source of your income. You're just preaching the idea, which I don't think Dave Ramsey has anything against, by the way. I don't think he has anything against with being entrepreneurial, creating your own business. How can he? He, he is an entrepreneur. He's got his own business. How do you think he's so wealthy? He's very wealthy. How? Because he teaches people personal finances. He controls the source of his income. That's how he got wealthy. He didn't get wealthy basically going to work on a nine to five gig at some job and being a wage slave for somebody else. No, he became wealthy by controlling the source of his income by creating a business where he sells, you know, courses, education. He controls the source of his income. He has created a brand, a platform where he can voice his opinions. People like who he is and that, that information can be found anywhere. It's just really people like him and his personality and how he, and how he portrays the information. So he created this brand around himself and that's how he became wealthy. That he is self-insured because that's how he did it. He's got so much of this money. He's, he's doing so much of this stuff that he's making tons of money. I don't know how wealthy the guy is, but he's, he's got to be pretty wealthy right? Sure. Maybe he lives conservatively. And so who knows how wealthy the guy really is, but he's got to be wealthy, right? He's got a pretty big company. I mean, he, when his financial peace university came out, you, I almost saw it almost just about every freaking church. You know, I mean, I live in North Texas for crying out loud, the Bible belt. It'd be very difficult to not see that, but you know, anyways. So, but the point is, is that you're not going to be self-insured if you're just doing it the right way. Now, I know he recommends getting a second job to pay down that debt and then maybe making money. He's not opposed to that, but that's not really the main part of his message that he preaches all the time. He's not preaching, take control of the source of your income. No, he's preaching, don't go into debt. He's preaching, control your finances. He's not preaching, get out there and increase your cash flow by controlling the source of your income. He's not preaching going and being an entrepreneur and, and creating value for others so that you can go out there and you can become wealthy. He's not preaching that. I mean, he's not opposed to it, but he's not preaching it. The fact of the matter is if you're not doing that, you're pro more than likely you are not going to be self-insured. You're not going to be self-insured by basically working for somebody else, paying your debt off. Look, you'll be in a better boat if you follow his advice with regards to paying down debt and controlling your finances and your expenses and things of that nature. Yeah, you're going to be better off. And especially if you never intend to take control of the source of your income, you're definitely going to be better off in that sense. Absolutely you are. But you're not really going to be self-insured to the point where we don't need health insurance. So with that said, how do I feel about IBC, infinite banking concept? How do I feel about whole life insurance? And, oh man, a long time ago, years and years, I did a massive amount of research. I read several books on the subject and I was gung-ho for the whole thing. And, but there was one thing that I just couldn't get past. And I'm not saying it's bad. If you, if you like it, hey, more power to you. But for me, I just... I don't like the fact that I'm basically guaranteed to pay $400 for almost the rest of my life until I'm 60 years old, until the policy basically starts to pay for itself and the dividends. You know, so for those of you guys who don't know, basically you put your money into a, a whole life insurance policy, okay? And uh, before we get into a lot of this stuff, I'm not a financial advisor, I'm not licensed, I'm not a tax advisor, none of that kind of stuff. So I've done a lot of research on it but I'm not a licensed professional on the subject. So if you want to make any kind of decision, go talk to a licensed professional, all that kind of stuff. There you go. There's your disclaimer. All right, let's get into this. All right. So for those of you who don't know how a whole life insurance policy, a dividend paying or a mutual whole life insurance policy works, basically you have a, a whole life insurance policy with an insurance company 
a mutually owned insurance company where you are now a shareholder of the company just by having the policy. So the actual customers of this insurance company also are in part owners. They're shareholders in the company. Okay. It's kind of like a credit union. Credit unions are very the same way. If you have a bank account with a credit union, if you work with them in most credit unions, you are now in part owner, a shareholder in the credit union, you know, so it kind of aligns the incentives a little bit better in your favor that way. So But what this whole life insurance policy thing is, is that you pay money into it and there's a cash savings, quote unquote, uh, aspect to it where you pay a certain amount of money in for the the death benefit, the death benefit being the amount of money that your family gets in the event that you die. So you pay for a certain amount of death benefit. It can be hundreds of thousands, millions of dollars. I think, I don't know what limits there are on it, but anyways, let's say it's like $500,000 just for argument's sake. So if you die, your family's going to get $500,000 to handle the funeral and a lot of bun- a bunch of other stuff and to also to help make up for the fact that you passed away and you probably were a source of income for your family. So you pay for that. But then you also pay money into what they call a savings account that's in that's included inside the policy. And that's more or less it. You get paid because you are a dividend holder in the company, shareholder, because you have a policy with them, you get what they call a quote unquote dividend. Now, Dave Ramsey does have a, a criticism of this. He says that it's not really a dividend. They're basically overcharging you because you are in part owner of the company. You're a customer and all the money they make is made off you, the customer, so what you're really, and they're not making money in any other way, which he's wrong in by the way, but he is right in the sense that they're overcharging you and you're just really, you're getting more of a, hey, we charge you too much. Here's your your reimbursement. Here's what, what we didn't spend or whatever. And he is true. So it's not really a dividend, quote unquote, in the traditional sense, which is why the government doesn't treat it as such and therefore it's not taxed. But with that stated, eventually as your account continues to grow and as you continue to have more and more money in the account, eventually the div- they start paying you more than what you're paying every single month. Eventually it grows to a point where not only will it become a self-fulfilling policy, meaning that it pays for itself. So let's assume you're paying 400 bucks a month. Once it becomes self-fulfilling, that means the dividends that you're getting back every month actually pay the premium that you're paying, whatever your fee that you're paying. So $400. So you start getting 400 bucks every month back. So now it becomes self-fulfilling. And when it exceeds, I think it, when it exceeds that self-fulfillment process and you start making more monies than the $400 a month, that's when the, the government comes in and says, okay, now this is, now you're getting paid in excess of what you, you put into this. So now this is a dividend. It's, it's starting to look like a traditional dividend. We're not going to let you just get that money tax free, you know, cause you know, the government, they always got to steal your money. They always got to get their pound of flesh. But there are laws, there are regulations. You can only contribute a certain amount of money into these policies. Otherwise, if you contribute too much, it's classified as an endowment program, which makes all everything that you put into it taxable now. So you are restricted as to how much money you can put in. If you put in too much, if you do contribute too much to the account uh, within a certain time frame, you'll lose the tax benefits. So that said, and the other benefit of it is, and a lot of people really like this, is that you could take out a policy loan. You could take out a loan against the cash value that you have in the policy. So if you've got $500,000 in this policy and you've got a million dollar death benefit, you can take out a certain percentage of the $500,000 in cash savings that you have. 
And you can either live off that or whatever. You don't even have to pay that off. Okay, now there is an interest rate attached to it. And the benefit of this is that if you decide that you can choose your payment plans, you don't have to set up a payment plan on it. You want to pay yourself back. Otherwise, it's kind of like stealing from yourself. But if you don't pay it back, eventually it'll just get subtracted from the death benefit. So if you got a million dollars and you subtract and let's say you borrow 50,000 or whatever, you never pay that back. It will grow with interest over time. So either you need to control the interest rate, what is added via interest, or you need to pay it off entirely because it will grow. But if let's say it doesn't grow above a million dollars in this, in this example, you will, it'll get, just get subtracted from your death benefit. You won't have to pay it off. So that's another reason that a lot of people really like these is because I can use them to finance. I don't have to go to the bank. And if I use this to buy my house or a car and I can't pay my loan for, for whatever reason, I don't have to for that month. I don't even have to for a year or whatever. I can, I can basically just defer it and let the interest grow and stuff of that nature. And because you took out a loan against the cash value, you didn't decrease the the savings that you have in there. You didn't decrease it, so it's still growing in the account. So anyways, that's the fine details of all of this, okay? So this is considered the infinite banking concept because basically what they're saying, it's a way to borrow money without increasing inflation, it's a way you're not contributing to the inflation anymore and it's infinite. You use the loans, you use the policy, not only are you getting a death benefit and all that kind of stuff, but you're using the policy to effectively buy things. You can use it as a retirement account there. It will grow in things of that nature, but you know, that's the idea behind it. And by the way, Dave Ramsey is wrong. The company doesn't just make, these insurance companies don't make money simply by, you know, through the customers alone. What they do is you pay extra money to them more above and beyond your, your, what you're paying in your, the policy and the savings. And basically what they do with a lot of that money is they go and they reinvest it and they make money off their investments. And they also ask you for more money so that in the event that anything happens, you know, maybe more people passed away that year or whatnot you know, then they have extra money on hand to be able to handle that. If not, and they're like, okay, well, not as many people passed away. We didn't have to pay out as much. We'll pay that back in the form of a quote unquote dividend to you. And that's kind of, so that's the nuts and bolts of it. That that's, that's how it all works. So now that we, we've gotten through all of that, here's my issue with it. I don't like the idea of paying on something $400 a month, which when I looked into it, that's what was quoted to me. I don't like the idea of paying, oh, and by the way, that was last year. That was in 2019 when I was looking into this. Now, I had been researching, I had known about this for years and years before that, but I finally looked into it and actually got a quote of how much it would be just out of curiosity. 400 a month is what was recommended to me by a company. I don't even remember the company that I, that I looked into. And well, frankly, I don't like the idea of decreasing my cash flow. It's like almost like a form of debt that I never get away from. It's like a form of debt that I never, ever, ever, truly ever get out from under. I can't pay it off and increase my cash flow. And I, I don't like that. I don't like that at all. I don't like the fact that I got to pay $400 a month. Now, maybe if I was a millionaire, I wouldn't care. I, I don't know. If I had more money that I knew what to do with, I, I don't know. Maybe I'd feel a little differently about it, but... I, st- I don't like the idea of having a $400 a month bill for the rest of my life. Now, the benefit is, is that it doesn't implode, it doesn't, you know, bubble out of control on you kind of like a uh, term life does. Once you reach a certain age, it just skyrockets in value. It doesn't do that. 
and that that is the benefit. But the amount of savings that you have with the term life, I, I don't know. I mean, it's an argument between whole life and term life. And frankly, while I love the idea of the infinite banking concept or the bank on yourself revolution, uh, Pamela Yellen is the, the other lady. Nelson Nash came up with the infinite banking concept. Pamela Yellen is a lady who saw the Nelson Nash's infinite banking concept and she's rebranded it as the bank on yourself revolution and, and whatnot. That was one of the books I actually read on the subject way back when. And well, anyways, they use paid up edition writers in order to contribute more money to the policy and the, and the cash savings effect. So uh, pay what a paid up edition writer is, is where you pay more money and you get more of a death benefit out of it. So that that's effectively what that is. So you can add, uh, Nelson Nash recommends one paid up edition writer, which according to Pamela Yellen, she recommends two paid up edition writers. Uh, of course, it makes your monthly bills more expensive. Instead of being $400 a month, I don't know how much it would increase it, but it would increase it. And again, there's no getting away from it. It's not like you could just decrease it. I'm all about decreasing expenses, getting out of debt, and just increasing my cash flow so that I can invest my money how I see fit. And if you're doing it this way, again, you're still in many ways doing the whole passive investing thing. If you're using it as a retirement. Now, if you're using it as a way because of financing stuff, then that's fine. I just don't like financing things. And whether it's a debt that's backed by my savings or whether it's a debt from a traditional bank, if you're going to engage in debt, I would say that this might be better. And by the way, when you borrow a loan against the cash value of the policy, when you borrow a loan against it, you still have to pay the whatever you're paying, whatever your premium is. Let's say it's $400 a month like I like I was quoted by, by one company. You still have to pay that on top of whatever you lent out. So if, if you owe like $500, now it's like you're paying $900 a month. Now, granted, I mean, what are you financing? <laughs> what are you going into debt for? That'd be 500 bucks. That, that'd be my question. That's a, a bad idea. But anyways, I don't like debt. And even if it's coming out of a, a whole life, mutually owned, dividend paying, whole life insurance policy, it's still debt. And I don't like it. I don't like it. What I want to do is I just want to become so wealthy to where I got plenty in the savings. I've got savings accounts. I got multiple savings accounts in different countries and multiple currencies. I've got multiple accounts that I use for big purchases that I just put it in there and it grows. Maybe I don't even put it in a savings account. Maybe I would put it in a, a you know a treasury bill or maybe I, I would put, put it in some kind of an investment or something of that nature. I mean, I would even have uh, other accounts for the purposes of investing, speculation, I would have long-term investments. I don't disagree with having long-term investments. It's just, I believe in actively managing those long-term investments and not paying somebody else to do it and engaging in what is mostly called passive investing. So I like the idea of, of having that, but I just, I love the idea of diversify everything you're doing. Don't just diversify the kind of assets that you're holding. And by the way, if you're holding different kinds of stocks, it's all paper assets. Even if you're holding bonds and stocks, paper assets, okay? It's one asset class. It's not different asset classes. You want a different asset class, you've got precious metals. You've got real estate. You've got businesses, okay? You've got diamonds, which by the way, I think I may actually found a way in previous episodes. We talked about how I looked into buying diamonds and investing them. I may have actually found a way to sell diamonds, which is freaking cool. I may have found a way to buy them and also sell them. I found a company that you can go to and actually buy the diamonds, which is thousands of dollars, by the way. And, and I also found a company that not only buys, but sells diamonds as well from your average day investor. So I'm like, that's freaking cool. Now, I haven't done a lot of research into it, so I'm going to do more 
eight research it, but how amazing is that? Don't you know? It's like what do you what do you invest in? Oh well, I got diamonds. I'm investing in diamonds. I don't know. I I think that's freaking awesome. I don't know about you guys, but I've been talking nonstop about uh, nonstop about this kind of stuff. I, I really am very passionate about it. All right, if you couldn't tell. Uh, <laughs> But yeah, I, I think I found a way to invest in diamonds. So I'm going to be doing a lot more research into that because it's just another asset class. It's a, a tangible physical asset that could maintain its value. And I think that that's really cool. But yeah, you've got, you've got all these different asset classes. And if you want to be diversified, you don't just... The idea behind diversification came from modern portfolio theory. and But the idea behind diversification was not intended just for different asset classes. It was also for strategies and how you're investing, how you make money. So if you're trading, maybe you trade with patterns in with regards to technical analysis. Maybe another strategy is you you more trade with systems. You have an automated system that buys and loads when it sees certain things happen in the market. I would still say you're still kind of using patterns in that sense, but maybe not necessarily in the traditional sense. It's not like a harmonic pattern or it's not like a... Um, a lot of this is going to go over many of y'all's heads if you don't understand trading, but you know, it's not like a double top or a double bottom or things of that nature. Those are technical patterns that you see in any market, just about every market that's out there. If you actually plotted it out on a chart or if you have it on the chart already, that would be a pattern that you would see. But anyways, that said, you, you diversify your strategy. So you have a long-term strategy where you basically just buy and you dollar cost average and you just buy and whatnot. And then you have another strategy where it's more like trading. You're buying and selling, buying and selling in, in, a, in a much faster, at a much faster pace. And then, I don't know, and then how you trade. So you diversify the strategies. You don't just diversify what you're invested in and the asset classes and whatnot. You also diversify the strategies as well because different strategies will perform differently depending on the market and the market conditions and things of that nature. Right now, we're in a very highly volatile market, a lot of craziness, a lot of whips on. There are going to be strategies that benefit and do very, very well in this current market condition than other strategies. And and when everything is calm and you're just seeing a general increase in the stock market, there are going to be strategies that benefit off that type of strategy. And it's not going to handle volatility, a, a high, high volatility and a lot of unpredictability. But anyways... That's my opinion on the infinite banking concept. I, I just, I don't like decreasing my cash flow. And I certainly don't like doing it knowing that I can never get out from under it. And, you know, again, that, that I'm going to be having it for the rest of my life. I just don't like that. Now, again, I would rather like to pursue the idea of becoming self-insured. And the only way I'm going to do that is becoming financially free. And really, it kind of piggybacks off of the other part of this conversation I want to talk about with regards to Robert Kiyosaki and Rich Dad Poor Dad. You know, Robert Kiyosaki, he doesn't really get a whole lot into the budgeting and getting rid of debt. In fact, Robert Kiyosaki does encourage you to go into debt, but only for investment reasons if you're going to make money off of the investment. So if you're going to make money with like, say, real estate investing, you're going to become a, a rent, a, a landlord, and you're going to have a rental property, then he would say that's a good form, that's a good form of debt. So there are good forms and negative forms of debt. Good forms of debt basically make you money and they're considered investments in that sense. Whereas bad forms of debt are purely for consumption purposes and they don't make you any money at all. That's Robert Kiyosaki's idea. I think it's a pretty cool, it's a cool way of looking at debt. Some people say, I don't care. All debt is bad debt. I just don't think you should be a slave, a debt slave to anybody and all debt is bad debt. And yeah, I can see an argument for that too. And I like that too. I generally speaking, I don't like debt at all. 
So I guess I fall more along the lines of I prefer not going into debt at all. So, but I can see one form of debt being better than the other form of debt. I can see somewhat of an argument. It just, it just, the more debt you have, the more risks you're increasing. And those risks can very negatively affect you. I mean, this is coming from a guy who's lived through an eviction. You don't know what an eviction is, okay? If you're, if you've never lived in America or anything, you're not an American, you don't know what evictions are. Evictions are basically where you get kicked out on the street which in my case, it was the front lawn. Uh, my wife and I, we were just married. We were living with some friends of ours, very, very good friends, love them to death, absolutely amazing people. And the husband had lost his job. He got another job back, but he wasn't making as much money as his other job. And a lot of the finances just, gosh, constantly struggling. They were struggling to pay utility bills. They were struggling to keep up with it. And eventually it all came to a head and it resulted in them getting evicted from the property with my wife and I living there with them. We were, we were young, we were newlyweds basically. And we just, we didn't, we didn't make enough money to live on our own. So they were being kind and offering up their house to us, which was a beautiful and wonderful thing for them to do. And we, we got evicted with them and our stuff was out on the front lawn. Like we basically, they had this, this really big home. It was massive Texas. If you guys have been to Texas, you know, these homes are huge here. I mean, in comparison to most other parts of the country or even the world, and especially considering the world, these homes are massive. So the, you know, we converted a formal dining room and a formal family room. This, so if you guys are aware, you guys got a living room where everybody hangs out, right? And then you got an area where you put your, your table, and that's your kitchen. That's your dining area. Well, they had a formal dining area for special occasions. And then they had a formal living room area, family room as well. So they had two living rooms and two dining rooms. The non-formal dining room was in the kitchen. And so pretty crazy if you really think about it, how big the house was. But it was we converted the formal dining room and the formal living room into a tiny little makeshift apartment. And it was at the very front of the house. And it was very nice. We put up some temporary walls. We didn't really make any structural changes to the home, just some temporary walls. But that was one of the places where we lived when we first got married. And well, anyways, so when we got evicted or when, when our friends got evicted, all of our stuff was already on the front part of the house. So it was all pushed off on the front yard, coffee table, bed, mattress, TV, media center, couch, everything, everything my wife and I had. It was... It was a really painful experience. And even talking about it today brings emotions back. It's painful, but it really, it, it was a blessing in disguise. I'm going to tell you that it really was because in the end, it got me to see the world differently. I don't, I don't think I'd be open to a lot of the stuff that I'm open to now with regards to Austrian economics, with regards to, you know, trading, investing, personal finance. I don't think I'd be anywhere near with the, uh, you know, taking control of the source of my income. I, I don't think I would be in that, that mindset at all. If I hadn't gone through that and lived through a very, very terrible thing, there's, it, there's no feeling like getting kicked out on the street. There was literally a neighbor who drove by and was like, oh my gosh, I feel so sorry. What happened? Oh my gosh. You know, I'm so sorry. And then she drove off, didn't even come back to help. Didn't even get out of her car to come and help. Nothing. She just drove off. Come on. What's wrong with you? If you're, if you're not going to get out and help, then don't, don't freaking, don't do that. You know, don't be that, don't be that person. Don't be that guy. Don't be that girl. But anyways, it was incredibly embarrassing. 
if you can imagine my friends, they had stuff on the front lawn in the backyard as well. A lot of the items that they, that they had, um, they had toys for their kids and stuff that went missing. They had no idea where it went. A lot of stuff went missing. They just got lost. The, when they come to kick you out of the home, they don't care. They literally bag stuff up in trash bags. They literally move it out. I mean, a lot of my furniture got scratched up and everything. It was pretty bad. It was really bad. There was a lot of damage to our items. A lot of things got lost. It was not a, a, a pretty sight at all. It, it was horrible. It was really bad. So, you know, but, but look, uh, I, I don't like debt. Okay. I don't like debt at all because I've seen the destruction that it can cause. So I, I do think that there are good forms of debt or better form. I guess you could say better forms of debt and worse forms of debt, but I don't like debt in general. I, I just don't. So I, even if it is a better form of a debt, I'd still rather stay away from it. And quite frankly, the best form of debt would be a policy loan that you don't have to pay back and gets covered by your death benefit and is used and the cash value is used. And by the way, in the whole life insurance policy, I should, I should note that if you do pass away, the savings, you don't, I don't think you get the savings back. So unless you take the savings out in form of a loan and pay that loan off, you know, and give yourself a nice cash injection, or if you just, you, you, you take it all out or take a big portion of it out and then you don't, and you just let the, it gets subtracted from the death benefit, which a lot of people do. Um, you're not going to get the savings, the actual cash out of it. So I just want you guys to know that, but you do, you, you can take the loan out and you let the death benefit cover it. You just got to make sure that the amount that you're taking out doesn't overwhelm the, the, the death benefit. Otherwise, I guess you might end up owing money. I'm not really sure what happens on that. I'm not an expert in the field, okay? I just know a lot about it because I've, I've read a lot of books and I've done a lot of research on it. But with regards to Robert Kiyosaki and his mentality was that if you have a certain lifestyle that you want to live, go ahead and live that lifestyle. All you need to do is you need to find a way to make enough money to live that lifestyle. So don't say, I can't afford this. Ask yourself, say, how can I afford this? I see that Ferrari. I guess I can never afford that Ferrari. Don't say that. No, that's a defeatist attitude, right? I want to hear you upbeat. You know, don't, don't, don't say that. You know, that's a defeatist attitude. That's a defeatist way of thinking. You're telling yourself, I'll never be able to do this. That will manifest itself inside your psychology, inside your brain. Don't say that. Say, how can I afford that car? Well, I need to make more money. Okay. How can I make more money? right? If you are partial to owning a big, massive house, you like to show off your wealth in that sense. Hey, I got, I got, I got nothing against people that are like that. You want a big boat home, you earn it. You actually own it more power to you. Revel in the success. Revel in what God has blessed you with. That's amazing. That's great stuff. Really? I mean, you should be charitable with your wealth as well, but that I wouldn't say it's sinful to have a big home. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, that, I'm not that kind of Christian, but you know, I, I'm also not a Christian that believes that just because you believe in God, you're going to become wealthy either. I don't believe that. I think it all boils down to how you operate and you, uh, basically how you live your life and, and things of that nature. But here's the thing. Okay. If you want a big home, right. And, and that's what you want. Okay. Then don't say I can never afford a big mansion like that. I'll never be able to live like that. Say, how can I live like that? changes your mindset. It changes how you think of it. And then when you think of stuff, instead of saying, if I ever get there, and if we ever make this kind of money, we can live this life. Just say, just say when we get there and when we get there, it's going to be great. 
Don't say, well, if I ever get there, I don't know if I ever will, but if I ever get there, it'll be great. No, when you're dreaming, say, when I get there. It really does change the way you think about stuff. I've been doing this for years now. It really does make a difference. At least for me, it does. It makes a difference. It doesn't solve all the problems, but it does make a difference. And sometimes I still catch myself saying, yeah, I don't know if I'll ever get to that point, but I'm like, no, 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 no. Can't say that. No, I, I, I have to say when I get to that point. It's all a matter of when. That's why when you hear me talking about the show, right, you, you hear me talking about, well, if we ever get that big. No, 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 no. It's not an if. We will get that big. When we get that big. When the show gets huge. When people all around the world know who I am and wrote, know my name. Right? Don't say if. You say when. And for Robert Kiyosaki, this is, this is great stuff. This is amazing stuff. But he does acknowledge that you need to spend less than you make in order to, you know, become wealthy and things of that nature. So I, and he also understands in investing, again, Robert Kiyosaki is another real estate guy. He's really into big real estate, but I do think that he doesn't really get a lot into the budgeting aspect of it. And he focuses more on the entrepreneurial side and increasing your cash flow. And, and he doesn't focus so much about paying down debt and getting rid of expenses. He focuses on more on investing in things that are going to make you money and increasing your cash flow and whatever that whatever that means that you got to do but increase your cash flow because cash flow is king not cash is king cash flow is king okay and so i think if you marry the two ideas of dave ramsey and robert kiyosaki together you manage your bud you budget you finance right you pay down the debt but then you also focus heavily on entrepreneurship and, and taking control of the source of that income and increasing your cash flow, you got a match made in heaven. You really do. And that's kind of my whole thought process. That's kind of the thought that I was thinking when I was listening to that episode. So, all right. So that's going to, you know, yeah, that, that's, that's pretty much all I had to say. I just thought that was pretty cool stuff. Just uh, sharing with you guys my thought process. I bounced around, uh, you know, from Dave Ramsey to Infinite Banking Concept and then to Robert Kiyosaki. <laughs> bounced around a lot. Yeah, yeah, that's kind of how I think. But it was it was a cool episode. I thought it was much more positive, you know, just kind of dissecting these people's ideas, what I like, what I don't like. It's kind of how we all operate, right? We don't accept every single thing we hear from any one person. You're not going to accept everything you hear from me. You're going to take the aspects of me that you like, and you're going to mold it into your personality and who you are. And I'm going to, and if I was listening to you, I would do the exact same thing. I take the things that I like and I leave the things that I don't. That's uh, pretty much what I do, and that's what everybody does, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I really don't. We're not going to be dogmatic and believe 100% what, every, what one person says and, we're, and believe this person is infallible and that we should never question this individual. That's dangerous ways of thinking because we're all sinful people at the heart of it. We're all fallen, imperfect beings. That's, uh, you know, we're, we're, you know you're going to get hurt. If you hold people up on a pedestal, you're going to get hurt someday. And that's just reality. And if you and if you get hurt, then it could hurt your whole life view. So no, don't don't hold people up and don't hold me up as being infallible. Don't hold me up as knowing everything under the sun and and I'm a you know and all that kind of I mean, yeah, I'm a good guy. I'm a good guy. I you know, I'm I'm very I'm highly intelligent. I used to think I was dumb, you know, so that's not arrogance when I say that. I genuinely I genuinely believe it now. I used to think I was stupid and I don't I don't think that anymore. So I am I'm highly intelligent. You know, I try to be a good husband, a good father. I love I love family. I really don't like doing a lot of hard work. I actually would much rather spend time with my family. Uh, 
hard, grueling work like editing podcast episodes or YouTube videos or or writing a blog. Ugh. I love the content. I love what I'm talking about. I love collaborating and you know having discussions with people and stuff like that. I love it overall, but I hate the minutia of it. You're always going to have things that you love that you're going to hate, right? So it's like in trading. I love trading, but I don't like doing the back testing. One of the reasons that I procrastinate it so much and I struggle to get through it is that yeah, I love it. I don't like the the actual back testing aspect. It's very droning and and whatnot. It's kind of boring, but you know, that's just the case. There's always going to be things that you don't like about the things that you love, that you just got to suck up because that's just life. You know, whenever whenever you hear someone say, do what you love, the reason they say that is because there are going to be things that you don't like about the things that you love. But if you you love it, you're going to persevere and you're going to push forward and you're going to have that persistence. And what is the number one character trait that you need to become successful? Ladies and gentlemen, it is persistence. Yes, you need to be willing to take risks. Okay, I'm kind of taking that as a given, right? You need to be willing to take risks. Absolutely. But I think it's persistence. Once you've jumped over the hurdle of taking risks, you need to be persistent about what you want. Unyielding. And that's how you would tr- achieve true greatness and true success in this world. You know, there's a lot of people who know how to take risks, but don't know how to stick with it. They don't know how to persist and persevere and they end up failing because they choose to. They choose to give up. They choose to throw it away. So risk alone, risk taking alone is not enough. So anyways, ladies and gentlemen, that's going to be the end of the episode. Hope you enjoyed it. I very much did. I, again, I hope it was a much more positive note. I mean, I, I I thought it was. I very much enjoyed that aspect of it. And I thought it was great. I thought it was really good, very informative, a lot of great information in there. And uh, yeah, just kind of doing a mind dump, <laughs> you know, just kind of unloading my brain of things I was thinking about with regards to that podcast episode. But it was it was good. It was really, really good. It gave my, it, you, 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 I hope you uh, come away knowing me a bit better and knowing the whole infinite banking concept a bit better. If you want to go check it out, you know, you go check out Bob Murphy's stuff, the BobMurphyShow.com. He's got links on IBC there if that's what you're interested in. And I think there's also, if you Google infinite banking concept, you'll also find links to their website and stuff. Uh, Bob Murphy's involved in all that stuff. So I don't know, you know, make your own judgments. And uh, again, consult licensed professional advice if you guys are interested in getting involved in that kind of stuff. But that's just things that I've learned about it all and whatnot. I mean, I prefer making as much money as I can, investing a certain percentage in precious metals, uh, maybe diamonds. And for for some of it, for speculative reasons, a certain percentage for speculative, a certain percentage for just long-term, basically a insurance policy against inflation and stuff of that nature. And um, and yeah, so th- th- that's kind of my take on it. And I just like to create multiple streams of income that all of which I control. And there you go. That's my method. That's what I like, you know, and, uh, and yeah. So that said, ladies and gentlemen, look, your life is yours. You you determine the outcome of your life. You determine the future of your life. And in the end, it, your your life is a direct representation of your decisions. You don't like how your life has turned out? Make better decisions. Make different decisions. Make different choices. Get educated. Understand the risks. Understand the cho- the direction you need to go in for you and your life. And I can't tell you what direction that's in because that it's going to differ based off the individual. But find out what, the, what that is and then start aiming your life in that direction. Start making the decisions and start... Uh, contributing to, you know, moving your life in the direction that you want. Don't let life move you around and toss you around like you're in some kind of tiny boat in the middle of the ocean and a storm. Don't do that. Chart your own course. 
make life what you want it to be and go from there. I think it's I think that's an empowering message. I really do. It's it's helped me a lot. I was aimless for a long time and now I'm not. I got I know what I want out of life. I know what I want to do. I know what my my perfect day would be would look like. I I mean I I know a lot of this kind of stuff. And in the end, yeah, your perfect day probably does change as your interests change over time, but in the end that that that's just the way it is. I know what I want out of life and I'm pursuing it. I'm trying to get it. And I think that that's a, an amazing thing. So anyways, ladies and gentlemen, hey, if you like what you're hearing and you love this podcast, make sure to like and subscribe. And then don't forget to share the show. Guys, you guys sharing the show is one of the best ways that you can contribute and that you can support what I'm doing here. And it's one of the best ways that you can ultimately spread, help me spread this message of financial freedom and economics to as many people as we can get to listen. So if you guys love it, then like, subscribe wherever you are, and make sure to share the show. And on top of that, if you love what I'm doing here, then head over to iTunes, leave me a rating review there. It helps me get this show on the map. It helps to uh, get my show in the rankings, and that makes the show more visible, and that that helps out a lot too. And if you want to financially contribute, then consider giving a donation to the show. It really helps me come in here and provide you value at each and every week. And on top of that, it also helps to promote this message of financial freedom to as again, it's to as many people as we can get to listen because this is an empowering message. I believe that everybody needs to hear it. I think it really is empowering, and I think it can unite a lot of people who are standing at odds with each other over politics and a whole host of other things. I think it's a very uniting idea that we can take control of our destinies, of our futures. And I think that's a very powerful message. So I think the world would be benefited by hearing it. If you agree, then consider giving a donation to the show. Uh, Any amount is appreciated. And last but not least, ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to be starting my first subscription program where basically I will be coming in. I will be reading articles from the Mises Institute, the Foundation for Economic Education, and the American Institute for Economic Research. If you guys are interested in this, you want to understand this, if if you love reading these articles, you just find that you don't have the time to do it, then hey, consider checking my thing out. You know, it's really, really great. Basically, it'll be $10 a month. You got, and I will, I'm not going to be doing every single article that they post. I'm going to be doing the top ones and whatnot, but it'll give you guys the ability to listen to it on your drive to work, on your drive home to work, maybe when you're sitting at at the table eating your lunch or dinner or whatever, whenever you can listen to it, this is going to give you guys the ability to absorb that knowledge and and you're not going to have to spend the hours and hours of reading it and hopping around from different websites and all that kind of stuff. It's all going to be consolidated into one area and we will eventually increase how many places we're reading articles from. You know, uh, I just got to get permission from a lot of the different places I'm looking into. So those are the three that I've got so far and uh, hopefully we'll add more to that in the time in the times to come. So anyways, if that sounds interesting, go ahead and email me via matthew at newmillenniumwealth.com. And uh, eventually I will create a landing page for this so you guys don't have to keep emailing me about it. And uh, we'll go from there. And I'm going to be building up a pretty big library of it. So it's going to be really, really cool. Guys, these are this very good stuff that you guys need to be aware of. It talks about a lot of things coming down the line and whatnot. And, and basically all this is is I'm just going to be reading the articles. You know, I'm going to be telling you who wrote it, when it was published, where I got it from, and read the article. That's it. I'm not going to be sharing my personal opinions on how I feel about it. It's just 
purely the information and that's it. And I think it's going to be really cool. I think you guys are going to really get a lot of value out of that too. It's a lot of education there. There's a lot of information that I think that we all need to be aware of with regards to political theory, with regards to economics, what's happening in our world and, and all that kind of stuff. So I think it's really valuable. So if you agree, go check it out. Shoot me a message at the email. I'll post it in the show notes page below. And yeah, that's it. If you guys will do all that for me, I'll see you guys in the next episode. As always, know the risks, plan accordingly, and have a great day.